If you loved season one of Flying Coach with Steve Kerr and Pete Carroll, well, you're going to love season two as well. Peter Schrager and Rams coach Sean McVay breaking it down for uh, 10 episodes. First one is up. You can check out the Flying Coach podcast or they're also running on the Ringer NFL show as well. This episode of the Bill Simmons podcast is presented by State Farm. If you've ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened? Your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Monopoly Go. It's halftime and the scoreboard's not looking good. You're not sure you can pull out a win? That's when you say to yourself, it's time to get back in the game, pull off some bank heists and take as much of my friend's money as I possibly can. That's right. The hit mobile game, Monopoly Go, lets you compete with your friends to be the biggest tycoon ever. I might do this with my high school friends. We used to play Monopoly all the time. It's the Monopoly you love, but on your phone anytime with tons of new twists, including leaderboards to compare your progress. There's so much to do. Play on countless dynamic Monopoly boards. Make your friends bankrupt by smashing their landmarks with a wrecking ball. Charge other players rent for your iconic properties. Maybe you'll even play against me. I'm great at Monopoly. You could even work with your friends to crack open community chests and in tournaments to get extra rewards. Get back out there. Put on your game face. Download Monopoly Go. Now free on the App Store or Google Play. We're also brought to you by the ringer.com and the Ringer Podcast Network. I can't believe we're not going to really talk about Phil Mickelson today in the podcast. We have so much basketball to cover. We're breaking this into two parts. This one's going up as soon as we're done, right after uh, we just watched the Knicks-Hawks game. And then we're going to do part two that we're going to tape right after the end of the Grizzlies-Jazz game. So two-parter. After you finish this one, part two. Just either wait for that or if you're hearing this on Monday morning, both of them are up and you can take your pick. Phil Mickelson, though, 50-year-old guy wins the PGA tournament, I was watching all week and all weekend. Yesterday, even when he had the lead, um, heading into <laughs> Sunday, he wasn't the favorite. I thought Brooks Kepko was going to win. First hole happens, they have a two-stroke switch. And it's like, all right, here we go. Here comes the Mickelson fall apart. Did not happen. Kepka falls apart on the par five and two. And then later in the front nine, all of a sudden Mickelson has a lead. Nobody makes a run. We did a little locker room thing, me and House and uh, Kevin Clark, right during the last five holes. And we were saying how we expected somebody who was around even or minus one or something to, you know, shoot a 66, 67 and just be around minus five, minus six done with Mickelson just trying to hold the minus six or minus seven. Nobody did it. Didn't happen. Course was too hard. And uh, you can hear House and Nathan Hubbard break all of it down on the Fairway Rolling podcast, which will be up by the time you hear this. But uh, Phil Mickelson, 50-year-old, winning the PGA. Unbelievable. I remember when Nicholas won in 86, and I'd been caddying that day. But somehow, I think I saw the, the back nine at least. But um, it just felt like he was so old. I was like, this is incredible. How does, how does a guy this old win a major? Then Mickelson is somehow four years older. 
But uh, great TV day. Somehow it does not crack the cut for us. Rosillo's coming up next. We're going to break down the East in part one, and then we'll deal with the West in part two. It's all coming up first. Pearl Jam. All right, part one of the two-part Sunday Night Extravaganza. Rosillo is here. We just watched Knicks-Hawks. Really an incredible basketball game. Having the fans back was um, was stupendous. They It felt like a full MSG. The crowd shots were awesome. You know, anyone, I, I think we all realized that fans were important to the playoff basketball experience, but you could really feel in this game. The Knicks felt like they were back for the first time in eight years. But Rosillo, the big takeaway for me, Trey Young, a guy that neither of us have really enjoyed that much these first couple of years because uh, it's been high usage rates, you know, stats that don't necessarily lend itself to winning. It started a turn midway through the season. He looked like mid 2000s Steve Nash today. I thought he was fantastic. And it seems like he's made a leap. It's a really interesting subplot to these playoffs. I expected that shot to go in. Um, Me too. That's, that's kind of what I was watching today. And, you know, I, I think we've always been fair about it. And I think in today's world, it always felt like we were the two grumpy old men about some of the numbers that he's putting up. But you're right. I think the biggest transition for him was trust, is that he finally got to a point where he could trust his teammates a little more, bit more. And, you know, you're seeing them run stuff where Bogdanovich initiates what they're doing or he gets it off to them and he'll play off. And I think he's way more comfortable with it now because he has better players around him. And this has been, for the second half of the season, a, a good basketball team that's really talented now that Hunter's back. Uh, I was looking at it because I, I was really focused on two things with Trey in the playoffs. I go, how is he going to be as a smaller guy if they decide to kind of sell out against him? And they didn't really do that. Like on more of the drives where I noticed where you get that high screen, the Knicks were very determined to make sure they kept a Taj or whoever was dropping kind of clinging to the big on that action because they're just going to get dunked on by Clint Capella the whole time. Yeah. And then the free throw attempts. And then I looked at my notes. It's 643 of the fourth quarter was his first free throw attempt. So I was like, oh, here we go. And then he got nine of them. And a couple of them were questionable. But the the headline of this, he is now um, the first player to have 25 points and 10 assists in his playoff debut since Derrick Rose in 2009. He was great. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's a good yeah. one. Yeah. So he and was so he was 32, 10, and 7. I thought he had the game on a yo-yo and it was a really, you and I were texting near the end. It was a really interesting conundrum for the Knicks. This was such a good game. I really loved it. Uh, the Knicks had Burks, Rose, and RJ Barrett all playing well. And because Randall was just completely uh, putrid tonight, those three guys six were of 24. And, and yeah. Taj, yeah, 6 of 24. And Taj Gibson's rebounding was helping them. But they had a conundrum. None of those three guys can guard Trey Young. So it was like, all right, I guess we're going to have to give up these Trey Young drives, but we'll get it back on the other end. I think quickly probably has the best chance of all the guards they have to, uh, to at least like make them work, but crazy. They bring in Nidlinka. Who? <laughs> How do you say his name? You forgot his... to, he's been so out of the mix. You forgot to pronounce his name. Say, say it for me. Nidlinka. <laughs> I like, I like this game better. <laughs> I may not correct you. I, I can't tell you how much I hate dating back to the most famous example, Quentin Ross costing the 2006 Clippers a chance to go to the finals coming in cold. Uh, sorry, Daniel Ewing, not Quentin Ross coming in cold wow. and forgetting to guard Raja Bell in the corner. 
I hate nothing more in playoff basketball than the guy coming in cold to play defense on the biggest play of the game. I've never liked it at any point in my life. I, I'd like to go on the record for eternity. I've never seen this work. He comes in, Trey Young destroys him. I mean, leaves him in the dust. He's five feet behind him by the time the winning basket's happening. He actually, I thought, did a pretty good job of staying in front of him at the end of the first half, if I remember that possession correctly, because that was the only other time he came in. Because that's another part of this story, too. Atlanta played 10 guys really quickly in this game, and same thing with the Knicks, and it's actually 11 if you count those final possessions at the house for Neela Kinga. So, um, Neela Kinga? Kinga? <laughs> <laughs> I just can't do it. I got my dad's speech impediment for certain names. <laughs> There's a few names. Frank over Frankie, the, Frankie no, Nicotine. I'll, I'll have I'll have a couple guys text me and be like, does he not know how to say that guy's name? I'm like, look, everybody's got their holes in their game. Yeah. But yeah, Bill has like three or four pronunciations. You just that's that's where you're gonna be at. Like who's who's your favorite player on the Hornets? <laughs> I'm not saying it. Oh, <laughs> We have a special guest. I invited uh -oh. him on. Uh, this is great. Sean, Sean Fantasy, a clo close friend of the podcast. Uh, I've been working with him for almost 10 years. Uh, during that whole time, we have not had many meaningful Knicks games. He basically quit the Knicks. Um, I don't know how many years ago that was. They've sucked him back in. It's, it's fine. I allowed it. And, uh, and you got to experience real playoff basketball. And then Trey Young, who we were just talking about, Broke your heart. What was it like to root against Trey Young? Uh, so I called Charles Oakley and I called Anthony Mason's family and I called Xavier McDaniel's family and we're all going to take care of Trey Young later tonight. He's he's curtains. He's no he's no longer allowed <laughs> in New York City. This is a mess right now. I'm very mad. Well, he did that. He did the shuh. He did a long pronounced 12 second shuh to the MSG crowd after he made. Rosella, those in Boston, you might not get out of the arena if you do that. I got to tell you, the sh in general is is kind of a mess. I see young guys now do it in the first quarter of a home game. And I'm like, do you understand the origin of the sh? <laughs> <laughs> Especially when we've had empty arenas during the regular season. You're like, it's pretty quiet already, man. Sean, walk us through seeing Frankie Nicotine come in on the deciding play. So there are two types of Knicks fans right now. There are those who always believed in Frank and those who have always hated Frank. I'm one of those I've always hated Frank guys. I don't get it. I don't understand the cult. And so I was mortified to see him out there. On the other hand, Trey just cut them up all game. So I'm not even sure what they were supposed to do. You couldn't leave Rose out there to cover him. But, you know, it's, it, was, it, was it was a very disappointing end to a otherwise like pretty fun and intoxicating kind of game. I loved the MSG shots of... The fans wearing masks and Tracy Morgan just being like, fuck it. <laughs> I'm Tracy Morgan. I'm not aware of this, but there was real energy. And, you know, we've had fans at some of these games. This was the first one that felt like real basketball. I got, I was lucky enough to go to Warriors Lakers. It was less fans. It was probably, let's say one third full. That felt, that felt full. And Fif here's the 15,000. Here's the problem for the Knicks. So, I, I I thought the Hawks were more talented. I was going to pick the Hawks. And then I saw those Randall stats, which Sean actually sent to me over the weekend. And Randall destroys the Hawks. So I was like, you know, this might, with home court, this might be enough. What the fuck happened to Randall tonight? Like, what happened? I voted for him fifth for MVP. This was beyond a bad game. This was like a catastrophe. He, he couldn't get rolling in the beginning of the game, and it, he looked a little bit shook at a certain point. It kind of became much more Derrick Rose's game, and then it really became Alec Burks's game. But, I mean, I think the Hawks are very long. They also had never been totally healthy when playing them earlier this year. And so between Bogdanovich, 
and Capella and Collins and Gallo and all of those guys who were all long Ding him up throughout the game. He really struggled. He shot really poorly. He made a lot of bad decisions. I mean, he's also never played in a playoff game. There's a lot of dudes in that game who never played in a playoff game. He's one of them. And he he looked less ready than RJ and quickly, which was kind of scary. I mean, I really hope that doesn't carry over to the next game because that's probably like among the two or three worst games he's played this entire season. Yeah, at halftime, they, at one point they were arguing, was was he being too aggressive because he was taking the charges? And then somebody's like, well, he's not being aggressive enough. He's not rebounding. They're having an argument about whether he was being too aggressive or too passive. Rosillo, he won you over this year. What did you see? Was that just a choke job or was there something else going on? There's going to be something I'm going to say throughout both parts of these multiple hours that we're going to do here tonight. This is game one. It's game one for everybody. And every year we forget. And every year we look at the one result because it's the only evidence of each series. And then we try to pretend that these games can't be different game to game. So I thought he struggled, but he had a couple moments where he was like, all right, I got this. Because, I mean, Alec Burks, I think, went for 18 in the fourth quarter. Like, I was adding it up going, what? Like, he has <laughs> Is that how true? many? Yeah. yeah I think he, it's oh, my God, points. he had 27. So oh, he blacked out the whole ga- the whole game. He was <laughs> money. Macro. They couldn't take <laughs> so, him out. So I'm looking at like the trade part of it, too, because we we're always like, oh, how do you hide him defensively? And it's like it didn't really matter because Randall was taking a bunch of shots. He took two early shot clock threes that were bad. He made the first one. The second one was terrible. They ran one play against Trey with R.J. Barrett where R.J. got a great look out of it. And then I was like, oh, maybe they'll come back to this. And they never did. And, you know, I, I think the. The scary thing of this is because you have that one result, we go, okay, what did what happened here? Well, look at this. New York was right there, okay? They still could have ended up fine. If Trey doesn't get the last foul call, which I thought was bad, if he misses the floater, then the Knicks win, and we're talking about Atlanta having all the size and being more talented, what's wrong with them? The Knicks out-rebounded a bigger team um, that I think plays their bigger guys bigger minutes. Atlanta had a stretch where they were just bombing away. They'd run one action cut shot, and then it looks like the Knicks are pulling away here a little bit. So honestly, with that crowd and everything and Randall going 6 of 24 and Barrett going to 6 of 15, and you can always find another number where it's like, we're not going to get that from Burks again. I'm not going to sit here and freak out if I'm the Knicks. I'm just not because I think all of us agree Atlanta's more talented, but the Knicks had moments where they were fighting in this one where I know I'd be frustrated today after everything that happened, but I'm not like, I'm not like inconsolable because of this. Like this, the second game could be an adjustment on Trey and the physical nature still fires you up. And then Randall plays a little bit better. And this series is one, one, like you should be scared of Atlanta. Yeah. I think it's tricky, right? Cause it's like, uh, they haven't won a playoff game in eight years. So everybody's all bent out of shape for obvious reasons, but they could have gotten away with one in which their by far best player had his worst game of the season. And now I'm like, is Nerland's Noel hurt? And if he is, and if he's not playing and Taj Gibson is not going to do what he did again tonight. I mean, Taj Gibson was unbelievable. He was making plays, busting his ass, fighting for every rebound, doing the thing that he's been doing for 15 years for Tibbs. And I I don't know if you can count on that. And you definitely can't count on 27 from Burks again. So it's tough. Like if Randall and RJ are dominant, then they'll be okay. But it just felt like they had a chance to steal one at home. And now they're in a tough spot. The series played out in game one, exactly what I thought. I thought the Hawks were going to have the lead in the last five minutes of the fourth quarter in every game of this series, but I thought the Knicks could still win the series, as weird as that sounds. And you think about it, like, this was final minute of the game, toe-to-toe. The Knicks have over and over again won those games. That's been the great thing about this Knicks team. That's why it's been such a weird season. They finished 41-31. and It easily could have been 31-41. and But they just over and over again were able to win these games. They finally lost one. 
they the the one Achilles heel I think at least among all my Knicks fans friends that we identify is they have no end of game offense. Their end of game offense is Randall Iso, which is not ideal. It's really not the perfect offense because it's platform. also sl- sorry, but it's slow and you can you can catch up to them like guys that are ball stoppers in mm. this kind of intensity and an Atlanta team that's figured some things out here defensively after being abysmal for so many years. Like when it's kind of the old Embiid thing, like, oh, Embiid needs more touches. It's like, you know what, though, Joel, we need you when you catch it to do something, too. And I think Randall's like the face up version of that at times. Um, Derek Rose, who played 38 minutes tonight. This isn't the best version of Derek Rose ever, but I think it's my favorite. You know, he's not nearly as explosive as he was in the. 2009 to 2012 range, but there's a craftiness. It's, it's just, it's been weird to watch his whole career. Now he's like veteran Derrick Rose, but, um, it just seems like you look at his last three years, his per 36 numbers. Have you looked at those Rosillo? I don't with guys that don't play. Cause <laughs> I think there's go ahead. Well, he, but he's in the, been in the high twenties for minutes. Um, he's basically 23, six and fours per 36, which is where he was his entire career. I think the difference is he's a little more respectable from three, but do you remember what you gave up for him? Fantasy? It was it a second round pick and Dennis Smith jr. Oh yes. Dennis Smith jr. The it's immortal Dennis of, Smith jr. It's kind of nuts that this is a guy who's going toe to toe with a really good Hawks team or a really good offensive Hawks team. In the playoffs, they got him for nothing. Think of all those dumb trades that how many, what did we do? A three hour podcast of the trade deadline, Rosillo? Yeah, the Derrick Rose trade was probably the most important just player acquisition. But that was months before the trade deadline yeah. too. They acquired yeah, him really was, early. Yeah, it, but I mean, like that that ended up being more important than all these trades we dissected for hours. This this game though was the culmination of I don't know shit for me personally as a Knicks fan. Two years ago, I did not understand the Randall signing. I hated it. I didn't understand the Tibbs hiring. I didn't understand Alec Burks for one year, six million. I didn't understand acquiring Noel. I didn't understand re-signing Taj Gibson. I didn't understand any of this stuff. And I especially did not understand Derek Rose getting playing time over Emmanuel quickly on this team that seemed to be kind of promising at the beginning of the year. I was wrong every time. Every single thing I was wrong about. It's kind of amazing what they've done. What do you see, Rosillo, with Rose? I think you're high to say you like this version better than the peak Derrick Rose. <laughs> I just, he was done. I'm just saying, like, I, he came back from the dead. It's like zombie Derrick Rose. I've just he was enjoyed so, that aspect. Yeah, he was so athletic, though. In a way, this makes more sense than him never being able to contribute again. You know what I mean? Like, even him at a massively diminished version of him athletically, he his ceiling was so far beyond. He was basically, you know, I still think Westbrook's the best athlete I've ever seen play in the NBA. And I, I don't know that Rose was far behind him. Um, but you're right about the market, like the market for impactful older guys where it's like, Oh, can I get a first rounder for this? And you're like, no, like if you ever talk to teams, be like, could you get a first for, you know, this guy who gets like 17 a game? You're like, no way. You're like, okay, Mm. but he's still, this guy's like still good. And you would have him to close games, if not at least in your rotation. And then it's just, and I'm talking like a late twenties first or a protected one that becomes two seconds later on. There seems to be some sort of. I don't know if there needs to be a correction in that part of the NBA marketplace, but Rose is a classic example of, oh yeah, he's not worth anything, even though you're like the Knicks desperately need him. Cause you brought up a great point, uh, Bill, when we were texting about the game, they have a real issue with what they want to do offensively versus their defensive matchups with this to close games. Yeah. And today they went offense. Well, I think they, 
ultimately, Burks is probably not playing last six minutes. I think they had to keep him in because he was so hot and Randall was so bad. But I think, I think ultimately, quickly is in that spot. And they're going to have to figure out how to defend Trey Young differently. The other thing that happened in this game that's going to get swept under the rug, because I think next 24 hours will be all Trey Young, Trey Young, Trey Young, and what's wrong with Julius Randle. The fucking Lou Williams random cameo where he took over the game for four minutes. This is a guy, he's one of the worst playoff players of all time. He's like historically awful every year. And he actually, I thought he kept them in the game because it seemed like it was going to go to double figures and then that was going to be it. Um, so that was bad. And then, you know, the Noel injury, I actually think he would have been playing crunch time because of his shot blocking, right? He, he would have been out there instead of Gibson. Am I right? Absolutely. I mean, imagine Trey trying to go to the rack on that last play with Noel underneath the basket. It's maybe a different situation. I think, I don't know. It's it's just, it's it, it feels like they just missed an opportunity here in a big way. I, the, the Lou Will thing too, I, I was quoting you two friends over text saying like, Bill has famously said this is the worst playoff guy in like the last 10 years. And of course, he's absolutely cutting up the Knicks. They extended it to seven. And then Lou Will, I think, scored the next nine points for the Hawks. And that was the difference between running away with it in the third quarter and not. Rosillo, later in this podcast, after Sean leaves, I did some legwork on this. I've actually identified the worst 21st century playoff player. That's I think people coming up next. No, don't don't give it away. I I have some. I'm not. I'm not. But I think I, you're going to be beaming with excitement as I go <laughs> through the all the stupid research I did because that's all I did all day. Um, R.J. Barrett. So, the six for fifteen, fine. But I fucking loved how he played in this game. I think that the reason all the Knicks fans defend him and the reason I've defended him the whole time is that. I, I just think the dude cares. <laughs> I really do. I, I think that's a, it's a weird thing to say about a basketball player, but I really feel like that guy gives a shit. And I like think he's Like a Derek Jeter keep... type? No. <laughs> like that. Uh, I think he's going to add something every year. And I thought he rose to the occasion. That's why the weirdest thing to me about this game was that Randall was the one that didn't rise to the occasion. I just wanted to guess that one. But RJ, you, you were bummed out last year. Sean, you can admit it. Yeah. John Zion, and then you got stuck with the kind of the third Hemsworth brother. Who do we who do we say was the best analogy for that, Rosillo? Third Helmsworth? Hemsworth? Third Helmsworth, yeah. Okay. Yeah, you got stuck with third Hemsworth, but he's not the third Hemsworth. He might be a leading Hemsworth brother. Well, the third Hemsworth, Liam Hemsworth, is one of the stars of Westworld. He's doing okay. If RJ turns out to be a star of Westworld, that's that's all right. <laughs> that's not bad. He had some moments tonight. I mean, that, that dunk did. obviously was huge. He hit a couple of trays. I mean, he's going to he's gonna have games where he shoots six for 15. The thing I wish that they would just let him do is just initiate the offense more. They don't really let him like handle the ball and run the offense ever. It's always either Randall or Rose or IQ occasionally. And so I don't, I still don't totally know what they have with him. You know, he obviously improved his shooting a lot this season. He also has a lot of games where he's like two for 18 and you're like, what the fuck happened to this guy? But I just, I wish, especially with Randall struggling, there were more opportunities for him to try to do stuff. I would have been fine with him taking 25 shots in this game. He's 21 years old on the biggest stage. Do it. I like how he goes to the basket, but he's not afraid to rebound his own miss. Like he's, he's active. He's not selling out for calls. He's, he's just around the rim a lot. Rosella, who does he remind you of? Anybody? Uh... Well, it's weird because he has more perimeter skills than they let him use because Rose is initiating almost everything. And it's not like they, I don't think they really trust quickly to be like a guy they stick in the corner. I mean, the Burks part of this 
changed everything because it was like, all right, we're going to keep looking there. I'd love to see RJ initiate stuff against Trey Young. I mean, you have to find ways to attack Trey, Trey Young. Yeah. So, you know, I don't, I don't always love like when I'm watching a game and I'm trying to think like, okay, what would my first line be if I were writing the recap of this? Because it changes possession to possession. So there are yeah. moments where I, I'd ag- I agree with you. Like RJ has some intensity moments where like that guy's into this. Like he's not, fl- you, know, you would hope no one's floating during a playoff game, but it still happens. And he had a putback there that was big. And I was like, all right, this guy's engaged, even though he, he honestly felt like the fifth option as far as touching the basketball to close. So I was like, okay, Knicks are fighting. They're tougher. They're out rebounding size. Like, look at all these great little things. And then, you know, Trey Young just closes out the game. And then the story, the recap becomes something completely different. I would just like to see RJ because he's, the shooting numbers surprise you. Like, if you look at him and go, oh, wait. Because, you know, I had a moment with him where I go, yeah, he might be all right, but I don't know that you're going to be, like, thrilled about what the ceiling is. And I've adjusted that for what I think his ceiling is. But he's 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 a different player because I think he has more skills than we ever really get to see because they clearly trust Rose making most of the decisions. You like the one top and play, Sean. Uh, I, I thought that, that was, was adorable. That was yeah, it was, they, it was cute. They let him have his adorable. eight minutes. He he was not bad in those eight minutes. It's been a real roller coaster with our number eight pick this year. Um, mm-hmm. I don't, you know, he's not going to play more than twelve minutes a game. T- Tibbs is not going to let that happen. But it, that was cute. He hit a three. I was watching Hunter closely today because I thought he was another key to the series, and he was he was pretty. Um, I'm gonna say nondescript, but then it hit hit one of the biggest shots of the game near the end where he hit a big three. And just thinking about them long-term, because, you know, let's say they get by the Knicks. I don't think this series is over by any means, but I I do hate losing game one and then basically having to win four or six. Um, I think it's easier to do if you have the seventh at home. But you think about this team going next round against Philly, who looked very strange today against uh, against Washington. We'll get to them in a second. Um, I don't know. If Hunter's going to play well and Trey is going to, look like he did today that they'll at least like throw some punches against the Sixers. They, you, you wouldn't say the Sixers just roll over them in that, right? Rosillo? I'm not going to worry too much about how, um, deflated that, that Philly game felt like it was starting at 8am local time. Like that was a weird, <laughs> the whole thing had a vibe that was a bit on the napping side of, of a basketball playoff game. Yeah, um, it's fair. It's fair at the same time. I'd be surprised if Philly didn't beat the winner of this series. You know, me like too. Felt like. They're going to be like minus five hundred favorites. I think Atlanta probably has a better chance to beat them. You feel like fantasy. You feel like you're a guy short. And oh it's, no! And no that question. guy is Mitchell Robinson. Mm. I think if you had him, I'd feel you know you'd have twelve, especially against Embiid, you'd have twelve fouls and stuff like that. But it, I just kind, I was kind of amazed by how much Taj Gibson played in this game today. And how important he was. And he was in the middle of a lot of things. The one thing he didn't do was clothesline Trey Young, which I guess will be on the agenda for, for game two. I'm sure, but I'm sure Oakley's going to call him and talk it out with him. They can't, they can't run the risk of getting a gnarly flagrant and a suspension, though, because they don't have enough depth on the front line. So it's going to be tricky. I think you will feel more specifically the their one guy short thing when Alex Burks doesn't drop 27 next game, because that's where I always feel it watching them this year. Watching them this year, I'm like, they're really one perimeter guy short. They're really one scorer short. Because if if Randall is shooting 40% from the field, they're they're going to score 89 points in a game. It was kind of a, a miraculous that they scored 103 points today. Well, before we let you go, I'm really happy for James Dolan. I mean, the guy's put his blood, sweat, and tears into this team well and said. this franchise. <laughs> 
seeing him there in the sidelines, watching his creation come to life. It's just, I, you know, sometimes you just, just feel all the feels for somebody. And that's how I was feeling during that game. Um, I don't want to talk about James Dolan, but I want to say thank you to Leon Rose and co for, for giving us this team so far. When are you going to start wearing a We Here t-shirt? I'm, I'm in my vintage Spreewell jersey. This is as deep as it gets, man. <laughs> this is a game-worn. Come on. That's a game-worn Spreewell? Yeah, is that just, really? It was gifted to me by a friend recently. The We Here, somebody had the We Here jersey that they were flashing. And I was like, oh, that could be a thing if they won this series. I, I, I got to say, I was really, really emotional about this today. I mean, I, I grew up, I came of age being obsessed with Knicks playoff games. In the 90s, that was a lifestyle. Now, granted, they never ultimately won yeah. the, the big game, but it, it was bizarre to be a part of it. And I, and I really hated the mellow teams, as you, as you noted at the beginning of the conversation. So I was not super excited in 12 and 13. So this feels like for the first time since 1999, they're, they're back. I love Shut the t-shirt themes, though, for all the teams in the playoffs. I, I would love an honest one that was like kind of limped in. We know we got four. Let's see what happens. <laughs> So Celtics won. Guess we got to play these. Yeah, that would the Celtics would be the perfect example. It'd be like it's on the schedule. Let's ball. <laughs> we here literally. Uh, we're kind of here. Yeah, when I when I got to know Sean in the twelve thirteen season, he was a big Prigioni guy. That's a fact. Oh, yeah, yeah. The Italian master. Big thought he was just he, he was a little compasso. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. This is a little like there's a little legacy there. Incredible ball skills. He, he showed up in the NBA at 53 years old, and he aged like wine. Well, before you go, I have to tell this story. What, this game today reminded me of, and I know Rosilla was there because I think we met after the game for the first time. Um, I think it was Game Three, Net Celtics O two. There hadn't been like a really meaningful Celtics playoff game. It was a day game. I think it was the first meaningful playoff game they'd had in like eight or nine years. And the crowd was so fucking happy when we came back and won. Everybody just went out and got drunk after. And it, that today had the making of that. I think if the Knicks had won, I think there would have been a lot of calling in sick tomorrow, stuff like that. But there was like, it's rare to see a fan base that's just so genuinely happy to have a decent team. You know, it's the equivalent of like, if somebody's in a relation, just starts dating somebody and, and the relationship's just going half decent and they're reacting like, this is the happiest I've ever been in my life. I've had two decent dates with somebody. That was the feeling I got from afar, Sean. Thank you, Bill. Here's the thing. The New York Mets are in first place. The New York Knicks are in the playoffs and Zach Wilson is Patrick Mahomes 2.0. Thanks for having me on the show. And John Jastrzemski is, <laughs> is That's on right. fire. And JJ is here at the <laughs> ringer. All right, Fantasy, thanks for coming on. We're going to come back and talk about uh, the other East series. Thanks, Fantasy. Thanks, guys. I forgot to say when we were talking about the Knicks that at one point, Spiro Didis said, quote, Alec Burks is putting the Knicks on his back. I know. I did I know. not have that in announcer bingo this week. Let's talk about... Uh, Miami, Milwaukee. I asked you to do your series rankings for favorite series. We've we've got to see one game from every series except Grizzlies Jazz, which we're gonna be talking about in part two. I did my series rankings, and then I'll get yours. My number one is Heat Bucks. Number two, Knicks Hawks, Lakers, Suns, Mavs, Clips, drop off, Nuggets, Blazers, Jazz, Grizz. Wiz Sixers and Celtics Nets is last for me. Um, Heat Bucks is my favorite series of the eight. 
I thoroughly enjoyed the game yesterday. I thought it was um, compelling for a hundred different reasons, but that was my number one. What did you have for number one? Phoenix, LA. Okay. Uh, number two is Atlanta, New York. Mm. Number three is Milwaukee, Miami. Number four, Utah, Memphis. Wow. You should find some Memphis stock. Yeah. I just want to see. I want to see what's going to happen here. Um, <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why. Like it might, it could end up. There's no way it'll be worse. Even if the series goes long with Philadelphia and Washington, it already feels like, and I'm I'm being too reactionary to what game one was like, but that was just even though it was sort of fake close, it just was it was just so dead of a game. It was just a yeah. weird, not super enjoyable game. I think your your early afternoon call, I think, is the right call. Yeah. Um Clippers, just for the angst part of it. Yeah, like, wait, are you serious? Like, actually, I should probably put Clippers four, Utah, Memphis five. I'll put Portland, Denver six. Then it's Boston, Brooklyn, and then last is Philadelphia, Washington. Yeah, that's fair. All right, let's talk Miami, Milwaukee. So it's weird to say this about a game one. And sometimes you get this feeling during the game. Sometimes game ones become weirdly outsized pivotal. At some point in the last minute of regulation, I felt like it became a must win for Milwaukee. And again, I know that's stupid. It's game one of a seven game. I don't series. think it's stupid. I a actually don't think change, it's stupid. But I really felt like if they blew that game, I thought it was going to send them into a spiral. We've seen that happen. Here's a good example. Sun Spurs 2008. Remember that double overtime? Duncan hit the get the uh, one to send it to a second overtime, whatever it was. And the Suns lost that game. And I, I remember I felt like the series was over, even though it was one game. I've, I would have felt like the series was over if Milwaukee lost that game where Butler and Bam shot eight for 37, including the overtime, where it's like, you can't even beat these guys when Butler and Bam can't make a fucking shot. And then on top of it, all the Giannis stuff. So what, walk me through how you were feeling watching the crunch time there. It was a perfect example, as you just threw allude to the terrible Butler line. I mean, he was, I mean, he hits, it, it turned into like a meme. It's like, Butler, nobody would rather have this guy. And you're like, he's four for 22. All right. He's four for 22. So awesome getting the team to overtime. But I mean, he's been terrible. So yeah. this is another great version of a game where you can go, if I just look at this, then the score should be, a, be this. But, you know, at the half, Miami was eight of 21 from three. Duncan Robinson got it going early. And Milwaukee was 2 of 17. I think they missed their first 10 from yeah. 3. I mean, Milwaukee for the game ends up 5 of 31. So they couldn't hit a shot to save their lives. But then on the other side, if you looked at the two-point shooting, I mean, M Miami took 53s. And they made 20. I know. They, but if, they you go to, if, you go, if you go 20 for 50 from 3, you usually win, just for the record. Yeah, but that's a weird deal for like Miami to take that many because it it just showed like, hey, we don't really have a lot of options here. We don't. True. Um, Ariza played 38 minutes. You know, I had I was that noted. When I was looking at this series, I go, if this were not a rematch of the emotional angst carryover from last playoff season, there's no reason you would ever even think of picking Miami in this series. You just wouldn't. Because after Butler and after Bam, the third best player is Dragic. And he hasn't been great. I think he'd taken a step back this season, although I thought he was great in game one. Playoff um, Dragic. He was awesome in this game. And I want to get to some of that stuff a little bit later. But I'm, I'm with you because if Milwaukee loses that one, they're probably saying, okay, fine, we're going to hit more threes than this. 
but you got to sit around for two days and listen to all the bullshit about how they have your number when I really don't think this is that close on paper, even though the record, they were only six games better than them. No, there, there would have been a whole Giannis thing coming out of that game too. Absolutely. Where very similar to the Shaq issue 20, 25 years ago, we had this guy who's dominant for the first 45 minutes of a game. And in the last three, it's a problem because he can't make free throws and you don't feel like they're going in. No. And then on top of it, Miami, who I swear to God, every series, they come up with one wrinkle that nobody's thought of. Right. So this time it was the 10 second free throw thing, which they clearly had thought of before the series. And they clearly decided to spring at the perfect time because they showed Butler on the sideline. And it was like that weird, smart Miami thing. And it fucking worked. And they called it and they got the call. And now they're in Giannis's head for every free throw he's taking after that. You're taking it, you have your routine. And it's like, oh shit, I got to speed this up. But um, it's very similar to the Shaq thing. And Shaq won those three titles um, because he was the best player in the league, but he also had somebody else who could carry the last four minutes of any close playoff game. For Milwaukee, and I, I can't make this point strongly enough, and it's not rocket science because they gave up 100 picks for Drew Holiday, but you felt it in game one in a profound way, the, the upgrade from Eric Bledsoe to Drew Holiday. Like, just I, I just trust him with the ball. He's going to make one random Drew Holiday play. He had that steal where he had the layup where it seemed like two guys were going to chase him down with like 35 seconds left. He had the layup in traffic, but he's just such a massive upgrade from Bledsoe that I don't feel like you can compare last year's series to this year's series. And I, I think you have to throw it out. Milwaukee's better. That's the way they're favored. And they had to get through that game one. I think they win this series now in five or six. I was tracking who was guarding Giannis and it was like Butler initiated a lot of it, but Ariza ended up on him a lot. Like there's a difference between who was guarding him for the 27 shot attempts than who was guarding him throughout the game. So, I, you know, there's some BAM stuff in there, but like when I see Ariza out there for 38 minutes, Iguodala had 15 minutes, Dwayne Dedman's playing 12 minutes, Hero comes in, goes two for 10 in 19 minutes. Um, this this Miami team, I just, I know that we kind of liked them more because they closed a little stronger, but there's still some defensive numbers for them there where they had a better record, but they weren't really closing like they'd really figured a bunch of stuff out. So um, Giannis is never going to be perfect. I'm with you, the free throws. If, if one goes in, I think it's like, oh, cool. At least one went down because you can just see it. Like, and when guys start to lose it mentally at the free throw line, it really becomes a completely different challenge. On the Karan Butler and the 10 second thing, this is what is bullshit about it, though. I didn't, I didn't like it because the refs have never been more impressionable. And so you're like, okay, so what are you going to do now? You're going to, you're going to call this because Butler was saying like, you know, you would think it'd be like, hey, we're going to look for it. But Butler says it. So now one ref's definitely looking for it. And he went over the 10-second deal, but nobody ever calls it. Nobody ever calls it. Then no one calls lane violations anymore. Juan Toscano-Anderson in the play-in game against Memphis got down on a three-point stance on the inside portion of the, th of, of the three-throw lineup, like got down and yeah. put his hand down into the paint and while the shot was up, and they let it go. There's a lane violation on every free-throw. There's, there's almost... There's a ton of guys, because Shaq actually used to do this too. You're not supposed to cross the free throw line as a free throw shooter until the ball hits the rim. No one cares about that. LeBron does it all the time too. And then guys are running through the three-point line. So I know that like illegal screens you could call more often. It's a bit like holding. But when you call some of this stuff late that you haven't called before, I don't really get the point. And I, I think if I were a ref, I'd be more inclined to be like, hey, Karan, we're on it. We'll look for it. Instead yeah, we're going to tell like, Giannis. Yeah, like... 
or instead of being like, all right, let me count because they yelled at me enough from the sideline and then they got the play. Like, you remember when Chris Paul had the jersey thing? Like, yeah, yeah great for Chris Paul. He's really smart, but I, I can't believe the refs will be like, yep, let's call something we never call because one guy's screaming at us about it. The other example of that, and I think they, they've just been all over the map with this call for the last couple of years, is the three when the guy kicks out one leg into the defender who's charging by him to try to buy the call, right? Sometimes they'll call it. Sometimes that call gets challenged a lot and they'll look at it and every time they reverse it or they'll call the guy who does the kick. But then sometimes they won't call it at all. And then you get a situation like Golden State Memphis where Poole kicks his leg out on a huge three. And they don't challenge it. And they didn't, A, they don't challenge it. B, they gave him this call where it's like, his legs at a 45 degree angle. Like he's Bruce Lee. The guy runs into it and the ref, I mean, granted they might've called it cause they wanted golden state to win the game, but they're all over the map with that call and the lane violations. I agree with you when they call them, you're like, wait, are we, we're calling these now. <laughs> it's like you let nine out of 10 of these go. And every game I watch on league pass guys are just jumping in whenever guys so, line up with their feet over the line. Like when you get that baseline camera angle, yeah. Guys are lined up with their toes over the line all the time. So I was like, you know, like it doesn't, I don't wake up the next day being like, how am I going to get through this day? Guys, toes are over the line. Like, I don't care. But I, when it happens in that moment, as far as like the leg kick out thing, I mean, we could do, we've already done enough on this. Like Zaza fucked up Kawhi. It sucks. It sucks that that series may, if, you know, look, I still think it's a huge assumption to think the Spurs beat that Golden State team. If Kawhi's healthy, um, clearly they gives him a better chance. Um, I don't think they would have. You know, Bruce Bowen used to do it, and you could see guys that never got mad at anybody want to kill Bruce Bowen because he was like the only guy doing it, sticking his leg in your landing area. They but were for the mad most after after he retired when he was on TV for a couple of years, and I, I was doing TV around the same time. And the players even then would be like, "Fuck that guy." No, <laughs> like yeah, he, you know, it's totally true because I worked really with was. him a bunch, and you know, he didn't really. I don't think he really liked me that much at the beginning because I was like, "Dude, you're a dirty player. Like, come on, if you're not dirty, then who was?" And he was yeah. like, "I wasn't." I mean, here's the deal: we also know about dirty players. Unless it's hockey, none of them ever want to say I'm a dirty player. Maybe some football guys who don't give a shit. But, um, so so the point I'm making here is that's a ton of basketball where it's not a lot of guys. Like some guys get in that landing area; it's nasty. Like Mark uh, Marcus Morris did it in the Dallas series last year you know, against Doncic and then said, hey, I have too much respect for the game. It's like, dude, you blatantly got in his landing area. I just don't think it happens enough for everybody to call every contact. Ever. Like, I would just let guys fall down and just be like, hey, yeah. man, you fell down again. But now we're doing a ref rant and it's already too late. Well, you made the key point earlier. And this is why one of the many reasons why I thought Milwaukee was going to win this series. 38 minutes for Ariza. If you just did the math of the last two months of Miami, once Old Depot went out, Ariza and Iguodala are playing 50 minutes a game. Ariza actually was pretty good in game one. I think he had 12 rebounds, but I mean, he's a, on a really good playoff team. He's a ninth man. You know, he, he's somebody that's coming off the bench and playing 12 to 13 minutes. The fact that they had to rely on him like that, I thought was a really bad sign. And I really do feel like uh, Milwaukee got over the hump in this. Like the line for game two, Milwaukee's favored by four and a half. They always skew the lines down a little bit because the team that loses game one, the, the line's always skewed a little bit toward them in game two, but I think Milwaukee got through this and I texted you midweek. We were on this podcast last week and we both like Philly over the Lakers over the next couple of days. Every Philly fan I had in my life was like, there's some, we're not right. 
I can't believe you picked us. This they there's this team's off. Like there's Simmons, there's something off with Simmons and Doc is all over the map. And I'd be shocked if we made the finals. And this wasn't like reverse jinx stuff. It was just people were like, I watch this team all the time. I don't really see it. Like Embiid would have to let go completely haywire. So I actually I bet on Milwaukee and uh and the Lakers 13 to 1 ended up being my final bet heading into the playoffs. I think this is set up for Milwaukee. And I think Brooklyn's beatable, which we can talk about later. But um, but they need to get through Miami. And this could could this be a playoff a seasoning? Could this season the meat for them, Rosillo? Heading into the Brooklyn series, a little meat seasoning with a little tough my almost like how Boston had the Toronto series last year, where it's like Got to have some scares, got to take some punches, but we got through this. All right, let's go. Of course, Boston lost. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't even matter if the series goes long. I just think it means so much to them to get past Miami and get through all the BS that they've felt. I mean, even Giannis, which is the reason why I really like his personality, is, you know, people were making fun of him because it was like a We Believe t-shirt. And then he was like, I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> so people were like, but he was being honest. He's like, you know, we had a great team last year. We came in and we lost this team in five games. So... I'll tell you one thing, though, that I did like for Miami that concerned me a bit. And maybe it was just, you know, it'd be one of those things you'd have to maybe check again. But when you had Middleton and other moments where, like, Drew would try to go ISO, they had a hard time getting past Rogic. And there were moments where, where guys like Middleton would go and go, and it was like, you're not shaking him. You're not shaking him. I mean, Drogic had a stretch in this game where I was so impressed. Just He was scoring. He was carrying him offensively. He was tough as hell. But he had some defensive moments where they were doing some stuff. And, like, I know Middleton hit that huge shot, but he's these guys, like, they weren't just going past guys, which is usually what you look for in Drew. So I was like, oh, man, because some of the, some of their outside guys just can't even get past, can't shake these defenders. So it's just something to think about. Dragic was so good yesterday that it made me wonder if they basically told him to take it easy during the regular season a little bit. Like, almost like a saver for the playoffs because he did not look like that in the regular season. But he looked... I thought the way he did in the bubble before he got hurt yesterday. And if he's going to play like that and they can get the same kind of shooting, then it becomes a, what can, what else can we get from Butler and Bam? But I just think Milwaukee has more talent. And it's interesting. Tucker didn't play as much as I thought he was going to play yesterday. They played Lopez a lot more. I think Tucker played maybe 18 minutes. They got a good Bobby Portis bench game, which, which uh, was rare for them. All right. Um, I wrote this down. You don't have to sell it if you don't want to. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. This is lingering. You're still no, yeah, mad at me. Saying, Let's get this out of the way, joke. though. I think there's some lingering tension between you and I because you were the first on the pod not. To, to bring up the Clippers-Lakers thing and why would the Clippers do that? And then everybody picked up on it. Not to say that you inspired the rest of the national I, media I guys like to bring it. Okay, well, maybe, maybe you did. I led maybe the way. you did lead the way, but you were mad that I wasn't all the way in. I think because there was a couple oh. references made to it. So for everybody you know, behind the scenes pulling the curtain back, I've I've... I don't know if there's tension still. Listen, I like to look in the mirror too. I like to think about what I could have done better. And maybe my analogy is I tried to sell it to you wasn't good enough. Maybe it didn't pique your interest. But see, the times where you think I'm not helping you on the sell, I'm, I'll am i try to challenge you on the point instead of just being like, nailed it again, Bill. Here we go. You can feel free to sell it or not sell it. Coach Bud, I don't know if you got a good look at him during the game yesterday. He's got a little flow going He's, back there now. There's it's a unbelievable. lot going on. There's yeah. a lot going on. He's got some flow in the back. He's got a beard. He he looks like he should be hanging out at a golf club waiting for an illegal poker game. 
I wrote down, Coach Bud looks like someone who would have dated Connie in the first hour of Godfather 2. <laughs> sell it or don't sell it. I don't care. But definitely like <laughs> Connie would have brought Coach Bud <laughs> to beat my yes, Corleone. Yes, yes, yes. He has yes. that kind of, that, I don't want to say sleazy, but like a little skeevy. I felt like he was going to do a sideline thing and then they were going to be like, what did you tell the team? And then he just goes, do you know I was actually going to be the bass player in Steely Dan? <laughs> and I Coach, quit. Here's our sideline interview. Coach Bud, true or false? You had, you had one shot before the game. You, really, you, look a little, you look a little toasty right now. I just love them. They can't show them enough on the sidelines. This whole thing where coaches, we had this whole stretch where coaches had to look dignified on the sidelines and wear suits and all this stuff. And then during the bubble, they were like, hey, let's tone that back. These dudes have to wear fucking masks all day. Like, let's maybe wear, you know, fancy jogging outfits or whatever. And now we've hit this point where Coach Bud looks like he's hanging out on the 18th, watching the people come in, waiting for Tommy and Willie to come back so they can start drinking. Um, I'm into it. I Look, Popovich looks like Donald Sutherland's dad. <laughs> this, <laughs> this is great. Season. The coach looks this year have been fantastic. They really have. You and I'll, uh, Pop is, I don't know what he's going for. He looks like he's joining the cast of Succession. I swear to God, if he lived near a nursing home and was just shuffle walking like through the neighborhood, somebody might call. Like somebody might make a phone call. Be like, hey, what's, is there a guy that escaped? Um, I, and also... I don't even know if it's worth bringing up, but but the the Mike Malone, Michael Malone thing last night, and I mm. texted Cassidy, who I've always been really close with, um, not bragging, just just you know close. Yeah. Felt like and and I go, what the fuck was up with that? And she goes, hey, I love the guy. She's like, he was losing, and I went, oh, okay. So I did like a total one eighty because Cassidy's like, hey, these guys are losing and they're frustrated. She's like, he's been awesome to me. So she's like, I really hope people don't turn this into he's the worst. I go, it wasn't a great look for him. It wasn't a great because I've had it happen once to me where somebody corrected me in an interview and you just kind of want to be like, you know what? That could have gone like we would have been fine these next seven minutes if that didn't happen. But it, it just but I also thought it was great of Cassie to point out like, hey, when these guys are losing a playoff game, especially one where they don't think they were going to lose, they're not they're, they're just they're they're, they're going to be wired a way beyond that. They're already wired, which is a little different than the rest of us anyway. So a little behind the scenes for you. I don't know if we've ever talked about this. Cassidy's a very nice person, by the way. Um, She's awesome. I'm good with never having another coach interview. In fact, they're terrible. People out there, who's the one person out there who's like, these coach interviews are fucking great, man. Nothing like coming out of a timeout and hearing from a coach. Who's this for? I, I'm trying to think. I always, when, I, when they do this general stuff, right? Like when they did the NFL draft stuff a year ago, and they did the fin the the draft telecast gear toward my wife. And I was like, all right, I hate this, but I get it. My wife cried four times in two hours watching this draft in the What kitchen. the death draft two years yeah. ago? Yeah, the tragedy yeah. draft when they're yeah. just all the all the every segment was something bad happening. Everything. And what's the worst thing that happened to you? Okay, go. Yeah. Let's go. Five minute segment. Um I get it. I get why they do it. I don't like it, but I, I get it. I understand it. I understand who they're going for. I don't know who the coach interviews are for. They're not for my son. They're not for my wife. They're not for me. So who are they for? I feel like it's always part of the negotiation. Like, hey, if we're paying you all this money, we need a little bit more access here. It's also the same as the mic'd up thing. Like, I remember thinking the mic'd up thing was supposed to be good. And I actually feel bad. I want to apologize to Scott Brooks because every <laughs> time he had a, a mic'd up, it was the worst. Like, get a rebound. Get a, 
Rebound. Well, because the team, team. Ha- the team has to approve it. The That's team has to approve it. Nash had a good one yesterday, which is so rare, and it's also why, like Nate Bajorkman, when we had the audio of him, I was like, oh wow, like no wonder there's been some weird turmoil because he was like, hey. You guys want to do this? Like he was questioning them in a way. And if you're Nate and you've never been a head coach before, that's like there's a certain way you can talk to players when you've got some juice. And then for somebody like Nate, even if he's a really good coach, it's it's a tougher sell. And so like he was more critical. And I was like, wow, we actually heard that because you're right. For years, I used to think, wait, is this the best you can come up with? And as you point out, it has to be approved. So it's all useless. So it's also I didn't like know that until mo- I did TV, and then they explained how. Yeah, this approval system. And that and so that's why it's always like, let's go to Brad Stevens for some sound. All right, guys, come on. Let's go. (laughs) Let's step it up. And that's really all it is. But that's why the Nash thing was incredible yesterday, because Nash, they go to Nash. He's in the huddle. They they, you know, the Celtics are playing really well. And he's like, hey, we're fine. Our shots are just just keep playing defense. Our shots are going to go in like he was so confident about it. I was like, oh, Brooklyn's going to win. Like he, he just clearly was like, that's oh, how this I is felt. Easy. <laughs> I, I was like, yep, he's right. Yeah. Our shots are going to go in. Uh, coming up, I'm going to explain to you why Brad Stevens without a mask could be the coach of the year. That's next. All right. Uh, let's, I don't want to talk about the Celtics for more than five minutes. Good luck. Why does, so my dad texted me this yesterday. I have no answer. Why does Kyrie psych out Kemba so much? What is it about that combination? Are you asking me this? Because I'm I, asking you. I think Kyrie. You think he sucks out lots of guys? Because that's what I texted back. It was like Kyrie sucks out most of the guys at his position. I wouldn't just blame Kemba, but Kemba is a disaster against the Nets. He got in foul trouble, missed shots. You know, Kemba, when you have a bad Kemba game, basically, you know, the Celtics are going to lose now. But Kyrie has some weird mystical thing over the Celtics where even when he kicks their ass, like we've been over this. I mean, it's one of the most brutal things to watch. It's like, all right, he just smoked you guys and none of you, like you can't wait to help him up. The guys just love Kyrie. Just like that's the thing. The rest, the rest, yeah, okay, but him. none of that stuff's going to happen though. You mentioned it with Trey Young. Like it doesn't happen anymore. Like I can't believe somebody didn't give Harden like an incredible cheap shot at some point because they'd be so mad about the calls that he would get in certain games. Like I can't believe somebody didn't just go, ah, fuck this. I'm going to, I'm going to hit him way too hard for no reason because I'm so frustrated. It just doesn't really happen anymore. So it's not going to happen to Trey. It's not, Kyrie, the Celtics, all those guys love him still. So I that's know. the problem. I don't even know if it's specific to Kemba. The most, look, Tatum. I think Tatum has a chance to be a first-team All-NBA guy someday. I don't know if he could be an MVP. He might be a top-five MVP ballot guy someday. But I think he does have a chance to be a first-team All-NBA guy. It's never going to happen until he has to add a toughness piece that he just doesn't have yet. And I'll give you an example last night. Um, he's going at it with Durant. The Nets are really physical with him. And, that, and at some point in the second half, um, Durant was fighting for a position, clocked him in the face clocked him a second time, came around, and then you thought Tatum was going to do the frustrated foul behind. He didn't. And then Durant hits him a third time, and then Tatum just goes in and complains to the refs. When he landed on him? Yeah. No, it was just like, no, it's a different time. Where okay. Durant basically hit him three times in 10 seconds. And it's like, Oh, yeah, dude, on the inbounds. Oh, yeah, yeah right. I, dude, okay. at some point, you got to stick up for yourself, Tatum. And I just think... This used to happen with Durant, ironically. If you look at Durant, the first few years of his career in OKC, 
Teams used to get really physical with him. They tried to get in his head. They tried to bully him. They did all the same stuff. And then eventually here, he turned into the guy that, you know, was able to go toe to toe against LeBron for a few years there in the finals. And now he's the guy who bullies Tatum. Tatum needs to add that piece. There needs to be a meanness to him that he's, I think, years away from, from having potentially. And FYI, Jalen doesn't have it either. And I think these teams sense it with them. I think they're, they're super physical. It's always a Celtic flying backwards. It's always a Celtic holding their face. It's always a Celtic walking off to the dressing room to get looked at. And it's like, that's the number one reason people are always like, what's wrong with this team? And now that Jalen's gone, uh, it doesn't matter anyway, but it's like, what's wrong with this team? It's like, they're just soft over and over again. No argument. Um, you know, losing Tice, who I think all of us liked, I think everybody would like a Daniel Tice in your center rotation, not as your starter necessarily on a really good team. But I mean, you know, he, he did the exact one. same stuff. He o- did the always exact, his face. Just getting his ass kicked left and right just getting punched in the groin, looking at the ref. Ref looks back at him with disgust. So we've been over a lot of this stuff. Yeah, we did. But, here, but here's they the had Fournier, who's basically also wired like this. It's like, oh, great. We have another guy who does this. Yeah, right. I mean, he didn't hit any shots. Tatum 6 of 20. Kemba's 5 of 16. You know, here's here's the deal. Even if they had Jalen, they're not winning this series. No. Uh, you and I have talked a little bit about, you know, when I was, I was asking some teams, like, hey, how do you feel? Hey, it's never been wide, more wide open. You know, why not us? You get a chance here. There's no 90s Bulls. There's no 2016 Golden State Warriors. There's no LeBron Super Cavs. There's none of those teams. It's like, yeah, we might actually have one of those teams right now, but we still don't know because they only played eight games together. And as Nash pointed out, yesterday with Durant, Harden, Kyrie, Joe Harris, and Blake or a Claxton combination, th- that group had never played before. Never played before. Mm-hmm. And when I was watching this game play out, hey, Boston was intense. They were into it. It was so predictable. It was enjoyable. They, the first right. half, they really went They went all out at least. It was 36-33 Boston. Boston was 6-14 from three. Brooklyn was 0-10. for 10. Harden wasn't even looking at the rim. Harden actually took 13 shots this game. It felt like he took three. Harden would get Tristan Thompson in a switch and be like, ah, I don't care. You take it, Kevin Durant. And that's not even a criticism. That's, that's a horrifying development for this game that Harden was passive just because he was bored and then as soon as as the Nets wanted it you get bad switches where Tristan's on somebody Jabari Parker's running around for 20 minutes trying to figure out a way to stay in front of guys mm-hmm. Kyrie works everybody um and when Brooklyn wanted to win this game they won it in a very very short amount of time they were eight for 34 from three and they won by 11 it's not a good sign I, I thought this was going to be a sweep the sweep was plus 250 on FanDuel and it seemed like a pretty good bet. Fournier. So we mentioned earlier, I was going to tell you who the worst playoff player of the 21st century was. Okay. What, this is what you did all day? This is incredible. I, I did it for like a half hour. I like that stat head piece of basketballreference.com. You could just compare. You could put in little qualifiers and then look yeah, up yeah. historically. So I looked up since 1970, only playoff guys. They had to play at least 10 games. They had to play at least 25 minutes a game. They had to score at least nine points a game. And they had to shoot under 36%. So to repeat, 25 minutes a game for at least 10 playoff games. They had to score nine points a game and shoot under 36%. Because at that point, that's like a pretty significant sample size. Fournier has played 15 games. Kevin Clark of the Ringer would always tell me how terrible Fournier was in any game that actually mattered. And I'm like, ah, it couldn't be that bad. Looked up his playoff stats. They're like abominable. His career PER is 6.8. 
career in for the play. Play- How many games is that? 15 games. That's so I, I looked it up. God, three, guys, three guys ever since 1970 qualify for this. The other two were Stefan Marbury and OJ Mayo. Those are the only three guys in, in basketball in the last 50 years who... Uh, that was Jay-Z's had, guy. I was watching a video. Bad. I was watching a video the other day when Jay-Z represented the Nets at the lottery and they were like, how much input do you have on the draft pick? He's like, well, I like, I love OJ Mayo. And nobody gives Jay-Z a hard time about that. Everybody was convinced Jay-Z owned like 49% of the team. Right. They had to actually change the rules after that, that you actually have to own 1% of the team if you're going to say you're a minority owner. Because I think he owned like 0.02% or something. Anyway, Evan 48, that's a 15-game sample size that is historically bad. I wish I had known that before I was as excited as I was that they <laughs> traded him. Um, the, one, the one good that's thing was... Terrible. That, that's terrible. Yeah. That's not in between. That is straight up garbage. The one benefit was Rob Williams, who has done this, I think, five different times over the course of the season where he looks like Bill Russell, and then he lands on somebody's foot or... Um, he's going to block somebody's shot and lands on a seat or it's just, you knew he was going to get hurt at some point. He had a little turf toe flare up, but when he's, he's healthy, he's really exhilarating. And, uh, I'm going to say something controversial here. So though, okay. I think, I think I would play Pritchard over Kemba. Yeah, Cause I don't ridiculous. think Kemba, I don't think Kemba can guard Kyrie. I would, I would at least split. I don't think anyone can. Personally. No, but I would at least split minutes with them and tell Pritchard to just annoy the fucking shit out of Kyrie and at least try to annoy him and not and not have somebody on this team be so comfortable. It's a must win for them in game two or they're going to get swept. And I would at least like, you're not going to beat this team unless you annoy them and try to knock them off their game. Kemba's not going to do that. Kemba's the nicest guy in the league. This whole team's really nice and uh, <laughs> Super they make friendly. me want to throw up. Uh, hey, one other thing I looked at because KD had a 30 and 10 he had better than that, but he did 30 and 10, but with 10 free throws. So I was like, I wonder how rare that is. I looked it up and, um, he's had 12 in his career. Do you want to guess who the leader is since the ABA NBA merger for 30, 10 and 10 with the last 10 being free throws. So we'll call it a dominant triple double last 50 years. So 30 points, 10 plus rebounds, 10 plus free throws made in a playoff game. Uh, well, the free throw part of it takes Shaq out of it. Free throw uh, attempts, not makes. Free throw attempts and Shaq. Shaq is the answer. 37. KD has 12. LeBron's had 30. Yeah, that's not surprising. Will Chamberlain's also had 30, but I, I, he probably had more than that. Um, some of these box scores where you don't know what the whole box score was. Carl Malone had 28. Barkley had 20. Dirk had 20. Hakeem had 15. MJ had 13. Larry Bird had 12. But I feel like... MJ only had 13? Did LeBron just pass him? Yeah. Sounds like sounds like add, a, add that to the LeBron, to the yeah. LeBron versus MJ. 30, 10, and 10, though, means you had a significant impact on a playoff game. And I would argue is as meaningful as the dumb triple double that everybody seems to care about. Yeah, I don't know how when the triple double became like I think we used to like them a lot more when it was Jason Kidd, which seems stupid because they would never be like more than 20 points. They would always be like in It'd the be teens. like 12, 16, yeah. and 17. Right. right. What what did you call it to LeBron where it's like 28, 7, no, and 7? Or 27, 7, and 7. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think it's weird. I think you and I are both a little skeptical of 
just a over the top LeBron love in general. We we're not against it. It's just like he's great. I he's think, awesome. I, I think want we like we like people but, to be reasonable. Yeah, I just I just wish I brought it up on on my podcast, but I I just think it's weird how like if you're all in on him, you have to be all in. You can't ever yeah, mention. You did anything. a good job at this. Yeah. So that's it. Because I don't want to be negative about him. I don't want to be negative about him at all. It's become like a Beyonce thing. But I think with the LeBron thing, what's interesting is I feel like 27-7-7 should actually be called the LeBron. We should name it after him. That should be his legacy. And I think if you have 27-7-7 in a game, to me, that's more meaningful than a triple-double. That just means you were really involved doing a whole bunch of good things. And I think the 30-10-10 is similar in that you just look at this list, like, the top 15 guys were Shaq, Wilt, LeBron, Elgin, Carl Malone, Tim Duncan, Pettit, Barkley, Nowitzki, Hakeem, Kareem, MJ, Bird, Durant, Moses for the 30-10-10. There's no flukes on that Yeah, list. there's no flukes. Yeah, that's, that's I love I, lists like that. I love go. lists okay. where it's like there's no aberration. There's no Zaza Pakulia is, is fifth in PR this year. Like we, we have, there's no outs with that list. Um, I have a Brooklyn question for you. Most fun villain we've had since the 2011 Heat or would you come up with somebody else? I did not appreciate the villain level that Durant and the Warriors was because I, I love the Warriors part of it. And Me I understood too. Durant wanting to leave Westbrook. And looking back on it, I I don't want to say I got in arguments with people that are against it, but people that were against it were right. You know, it 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 kind of sucked. <laughs> you know, like, oh, are yeah. you serious? You're gonna do that. And I think if Durant, like Durant, for as much as he thinks everybody hates him. If that had been somebody else, it would have gone way worse, um, I think, on the media side. I think the media was actually a little bit more forgiving of that. And looking back on it, like, because then you have to say, like, well, what if LeBron joined him? What if LeBron went there, too? That means you think it's awesome, too, because that's essentially what we're saying there. So, um, yeah, the Brooklyn part of it, I don't know why I didn't. I, you know, when I pick Philadelphia, I also can think that maybe Sixers fans can be a little too locked into their own thing. Like a lot of Northeast fan bases are like, I think Boston fans are the exact same way. Like you're so locked into your thing that like, I'm watching some of the shortcomings in Milwaukee. Um, I get, I feel like I was, I was picking against Brooklyn cause I didn't want to see a team play eight games together and then roll through the playoffs and smoke everybody where I know there's still a, it feels like a pretty good chance that that could happen. Like, I'm not even worried about their defense anymore. I'm not even worried about their bigs. I'm worried about some of those big time moments like, is Durant going to have to carry them the whole time? Or will it even matter? Because you can find, like, well, the stuff they were doing with Boston, I mean, it was 82-79. Two minutes later, it was 91-79. I mean, like that, when they decided, all right, enough of you guys. This is over. So I think I was just opposed to the concept. You could basically mail it in for an entire regular season and then win the title. And if that makes me a dick, then I guess we have further evidence that I can be a little abrasive at times. You know, I was talking to a friend of mine on Friday who That's great. Has, has cooled off on the, on the NBA. And I was like, and I was like, why would it, you know, I've heard different reasons because there's been a lot of talk about how the ratings are down. Everybody has theories for that and whether it's just all sports ratings are down or. Can like, I just ask you something? Isn't it crazy? The ratings have been down. They've been down. And and I think there's a million different reasons and I know it becomes super political. So, you know, I, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm certainly not like, oh, because some political reasons are down. But like because the playing game between Golden State and LA was off the charts, then the ratings weren't down. Like, you know what I mean? Like it became well, a weird deal where it's like, oh, I thought the ratings were down. You're like, well, because they were. <laughs> well, and that was my friend's point. He said, because we were, I was like, that rating was crazy. That was the biggest rating they've had for our non-finals game in two years. And he's like, 
Yeah, because the players actually gave a shit about the game. And he said, everybody's talking about, oh, why are the regular season ratings down? And it's like, it's fucking obvious. The players don't care about the regular season. They just say, fuck it, I'm not playing tonight. And it's like, if I'm a fan, the fucking players don't care about the regular season. So why should I? You're trying to win me over with your regular season and your own players, your best players in the league are saying, fuck it, I'm out tonight on a TNT game on a Thursday night or against like their biggest rival. And it's like, so if, if that's how they're treated in the season, why should I care? Why shouldn't I just wait until the playoffs? And I had no answer. Well, this year is the best example of guys not caring. And because of all the circumstances around it, no one was going to give the players a hard time about it. But I do wonder if the seed has been planted for a long time now where this is the new normal, where you have... But this is four years of of this regular season load management thing goes back to it the does, 16, 17. Right? But there was at least pushback that would dis- was discussed. If you were going to give players a hard time this year, it wasn't going to go over well. Right. Like if we did That's a two-hour pod saying, hey, these players, how come they take... Like when we were doing the all-NBA stuff and I would do it to prep because I knew you have a vote, and I was, I mean, we've already done this segment, so I'm not going to run through it all again. It's, it's, it blows your mind how many of, say, the top 20 players in the league, how many of them missed 25% of the season. And you can say, well, it was a condensed, it was all the different. Nobody wants to give anybody a hard time because of what's happened in the past year. But I want, like, is that going to be what happens now? Is that what? Yeah, can, but here's the thing. And this is why this is an important conversation. Because I saw this thing about the midseason tournament that Adam Silver wants to do. And, because I think they all felt like the plan was a success, right? We had two awesome Warriors games that had real stakes and were really fun to watch. So the plan's not going away. Whether they should tweak the actual format, I don't know. But the midseason, his point was, we have a lot of owners that don't want to go from 82 to 78 because they'd have to give up some home games. And I'm thinking, 82 to 78? You guys got to go from 82 to 70. You've got to... The reason your ratings are down is because the fucking season's too long and your guys are skipping games. And I think there's real regular season fan apathy now. And then, you know, the NBA, that internet Twitter community that's like so gung-ho and tweeting during games and stuff, they they more like the whole social media aspect of the games than the actual games because the ratings speak for themselves. They've dropped dramatically and there's a bunch of different reasons for it, but I do feel like if the regular season was shorter, they added the midseason tournament, they added in the playing games, and then real playoffs, they could patch this together so it would just feel more meaningful. Bottom line is the game, the regular season is too fucking long. We've known this for 15 years. I've been writing about it since the mid-2000s, and it shouldn't be longer than 70 games. And anything more than that is a money grab that hurts the product. This is Adam Silver's job, and he should care about this, and he should try to fix it. It's not always about money. If you're making decisions just for money, then expand to like 48 teams. Like just fucking ruin the sport. Go that way. If you care about money that much, just add more teams. Grab the expansion fees. But in my mind, this has to be a 70-game regular season. 72 max. Over 72 is a money grab and you get what you deserve. Every business is always trying to find a way to generate revenue. All right. So when Goodell took over and where they were at in the projections of like, I want to be a 25 billion by a certain year, they add the extra game, they add the extra playoff game, but we all know where this is going. So even though I'd agree with you that it's too long, I just don't know that a group of 30 governors are going to get together with silver and be like, how can we find a way to cost ourselves more money? So if the middle of the season tournament, which I am, you know, fine, go ahead, do it. It might be different. It might work out like the play in game 
people were asking me like, oh, you still hate the playing game? Like it had nothing to do with the results or it being fun. I enjoyed all of it. I knew I would enjoy Golden State against the Lakers. No, you State didn't enjoy the, the last Indiana game. There's no way you enjoyed that. Uh, I didn't enjoy that. No, no, I was good. And I didn't, I didn't, I was kind of like, oh, cool. Now Steph is eliminated from the playoffs. Awesome system. But Memphis balled out. <laughs> Job was great. So, you know, they beat them. And I also think was why going to that Lakers game for Golden State, I was like, I don't think they're going to win this thing. And they still almost did. Cause I'm like, have you guys understood how like this Golden State team has a really hard time getting their offense going? And I mean, the way people were playing Steph those last two games, but now I'm kind of on this other rant. It had nothing to do with the results. It had nothing to do with the ratings. It had not, like I was conceding all of that stuff ahead of time. I I just was like, I don't, I don't know if you want to keep doing stuff like this to the game. But the final thing that I'll throw in there is, even if you went to 70 games, Bill, I think the mindset of the NBA star now is I want to take some games off. So you could have 70 and guys are going to still take. I mean, you know how lame it is? It's fucking lame when like the two best players, because they're buddies, be like you sitting. Well, if you're sitting, I'm sitting. And then they, the coach, like grown men, adults have to sit the best players together because they're buddies. And they think it's like cool to get dressed up and not have to play that night. Like that's a real thing that's been happening in the league. And it's really, really lame. Here's the thing, though. You shorten the season. You have more variance with the actual standings, which we saw this year with the Lakers, where all of a sudden now the Lakers are in a 2-7 matchup in Phoenix, where Game 7 is in Phoenix, and they really can't fuck around. I do feel like if you limit the regular season, you limit a team's option to fuck around with that season. And, you know, the Lakers are really good. They're in a really dangerous spot, which we're going to get into in part two. You know, the Warriors, they just showed you that it sucks to be in the playing game. You can have a heartbreaking loss. You have to play two nights later. Um, and that team was like Doc Brown, you know, patching together the DeLorean, you know, or it's like, I put some glue over here and I put Juan Toscano Anderson over here. And I, this Mulder guy, I guess he's got to play 50. And they fucking almost made the playoffs with nobody. They had Stefan Draymond. And Wiggins, who played the worst second half, I, I, I'm still in disbelief. I, I can't I believe he I took that three, uh, that three pointer that he took with a minute plus left. It wasn't that he bricked it that surprised me. I'm like, who is this guy who thinks he's taking that shot? Like, if he missed anything, it by four feet. I, was I, can't, I still can't believe he took I, it. I, I was rooting for them like they were a Boston team. I love this Steph thing so much. I've, I just can't believe this is the highest basketball league we have. And teams are guarding Steph like he's, you know, the best eighth grade girl in an eighth grade girls team where it's like, just stop her and nobody else can shoot. Just put, let's play a three, two zone. We'll greet her at midcourt and she'll have to give the ball up. It's the fucking NBA. They were doing that to him. It was the only way they were going to stop him. And he still had 39 and what do you have? What 37, do you have, 30, 39 and 37 in two games being greeted at half court by two guys. I thought that was incredible. Honestly, I, I, and he, and he also looked like he was running on fumes of fumes of fumes of fumes in that in that uh, second half on Friday too, right? Yeah, I mean, you knew there was a lot of argument about that, and like, you know, maybe you should, Golden State should have spaced it out a little bit more. They couldn't survive in the non-Steph minutes. They couldn't. I mean, when you no, think they had about to bring him back early in that right. second half, and when you think about Memphis's scoring options, they actually had more. Right. They just did. I mean, Ja was terrific. 
Although I thought a weird part of Jaw's game to close was that he slowed them down. So that's yes. going to be something I'll be looking for in that Utah series is that I like when Memphis gets out, but it was almost like, hey, we're up. Holy shit, we might make the playoffs. It felt like Jaw had moments where he was he was slowing them down, even though when you look at the final line, it's like, why are you giving Jaw Moran a hard time? I'm not. It's just an observation of, of him being a younger player going, this is that point guard old school shit that I love where an older, more seasoned guy would have been like, no, we're not we're not letting them get back into this. And then Memphis had this awful struggle offensively where they missed, they were missing shots because they were taking bad ones late in the shot clock because uh, Ja completely sold them down. But then again, when Ja needed to get a couple buckets late in the game, he cooked some dudes and scored, and Memphis well, is now playing Utah. It's a difference between what we saw with Trey in that Knicks game tonight versus Ja in that game where it's it was a feel for the game that I, I think he's going to have, but he doesn't quite have yet. Yeah, Trey realized yeah. like, there was a certain pace that he was just going to be successful at over and over again in the next game. He found the pace. Jod didn't seem to realize like the faster they went, the Warriors just didn't have the bodies and the mindset. But the bottom line is they almost won. Like the, the, all Draymond had to do instead of like flipping it up because he was afraid the shot was going to block, just go flying into that guy. You're going to get the call. The league wanted the Golden State to make the eight seed. Dr Draymond, just bounce into the guy. You're getting it. But he did the scared Antoine Walker flip and uh, and they end up going OT and then Grayson Allen. I thought Jenkins did a great job in that game. The Grayson Allen substitution, he ends up making two big threes. He goes with Tillman, uh, you know, basically in two huge parts and just kind of guesses that Tillman's going to show up. He does. Thought he did a good job. Uh, as we're taping this, actually, it's about to be halftime. Memphis 47, Utah 43. So we're going to wrap up part one. We're going to post it. And then we're going to start part two after this game. We didn't really talk about Wiz Sixers, but I don't feel bad about that. We should do a couple minutes on it, though. You don't Want have do anything on it? No, I do. I, all right, we'll do two minutes. Um, two minutes for us. It'll be an hour later. I had a good topic. Is Tobias Harris overpaid? Because I'm not sure he is. He was forever... The contract was like a T-shirt that he could never change. Um, but I, I too, at one point this season, I texted one of our Philly friends and I go, my God, like that guy disappears. And he's like, yep, I know, I know. And it was like from the moment I send that text, I kept paying attention to him. I go, he actually saves their ass sometimes now offensively. And he was, he was the guy in game one. So he's gone from, if you're really paying attention far happier about the investment in him because you knew they had to sign him because of the pieces that they moved, you know, the amount of equity they spent on it, actually acquiring him. The contract was like an afterthought. So I thought, he, I, th I think he's been really good this year. Well, it's like, you know, it's like the old saying where you pay in your fantasy draft, you pay, you really want Travis Kelsey. You thought you're getting him for 22 and somebody makes you go to like 32 people. Oh my God, you paid $32 for Travis Kelsey. And then it's like, well, I have Travis Kelsey. I'm I'm actually good. I don't I'm okay with paying the extra 10. In the Harris case, you know, if you're paying him 27, you'd be feeling great, right? So there's a $10 million tax because they panicked, they had to sign him. The fact that he's gone up a level since that contract and hasn't been defined by it and has actually gotten better. And I think been a real asset for them this season. In this series, like the Wiz have nobody to guard him. Um, I don't know. Guys get overpaid sometimes. There's only three years left in the deal. He's getting better, not worse. It's funny that that contract's, I thought it was a catastrophe and it seems okay now. It's, it's got, it's more tradable than about 20 contracts that are already out there. 
Yeah, because when you're looking at Tobias, you go, how come everywhere he's gone, he's got numbers and nobody wants to pay him? Like, that's always a red flag mm-hmm. for me. Like, wait, three teams had him. Three teams didn't want to pay him. Um, and that's not, you know, entirely fair because actually I think it's at four other teams because he had another run in there. Um, but he was... Yeah, the Clips uh, stumped him. Yeah, Pistons, Milwaukee, Magic, the Pistons, Milwaukee. Magic, yeah. Yeah. But uh, I, I was kind of, I was really excited to just see like, okay, wh- what's this going to look like? Because they put Simmons on Beal, which tells you they're okay with the Westbrook part of it. And Beal was good. And he Beal was. He had a good game. <laughs> Did you see the part where Thibel came out on him? And it's a really cool part of the Philly experience where Thibel's like getting after him, getting after him, and the crowd's like going nuts on they ISO defense. Yeah. You know, you yeah. don't see that a lot in a basketball game where the home crowd is like anticipating being really excited about watching Thibel try to lock somebody up. And Beal got the angle on him, finished on the left side of the rim. And then Beal kind of did this hand motion in the air. And I think both announcers, I could be wrong, but I think they missed it. They're like, oh, Beal wanted the foul. I think Beal was mocking the Thibel's hands and activity and being like, I went right past him. But then he got him. Like the next time down, they got Beal and forced a turnover. So Simmons is the main guy on Beal because they closed with Hill and Curry, Simmons, Harris, and Embiid, which, you know, honestly, Bill, this game felt a lot like Brooklyn, Boston, even though I give Washington a little bit more credit because they felt like they were in it more. Where Philadelphia kind of knew. They just knew. And when we need to do this, we'll be fine. Westbrook also had three terrible turnovers, I think, in the last two minutes of the game where he didn't even give his team a chance to set up on offense, which is always going to be part of this, especially in the playoffs. Um, Did you see the Wiz center stats? I imagine they're pretty good. They combined, the three guys combined for 30 and 11. They were 13 for 16 from the field and they still lost by seven. They're not getting that again. Just telling you now. Gafford had a couple plays again. He did. He did. Um, the the one thing that I like that the Wiz did, which I think from a gambling standpoint, I'm going to be concentrating on is uh, they just were playing fast, trying to make it a track meet. I know my dog uh, Murph liked it as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, Murph. I know you, you love the over, um, <laughs> but yeah, they're just going to track meet it and hope that Embiid starts feeling it and the whole thing. So. There you go. All right. We got to wrap up. Any more, any more in this game? Simmons put up six, 15 and 15. He was three for nine from the field and oh, for six from the line. I would dare. I say just the, the apex Ben Simmons box score. This is scary. Cause it's one of those like two years ago, box scores where guys would crush him after this. And it seemed like everybody pivoted to that. He was this better player offensively. Uh, you know, I don't know. And by the way, I think they closed with Danny Green, not George Hill, but Hill was in there in the fourth quarter at some point. Um, I just yeah. needed to check that in my notes. That's the Simmons part of you and I picking. So you're off Philly now in the finals. You have Milwaukee. I I wish I had taken Milwaukee. That's who I ended up betting on. I wish I had taken Milwaukee. So Milwaukee's your pick. That's fair. Because you is. sent it to me the night before Philly even played. Yeah, I'm sticking with Philadelphia, but I know that I'm... I'm scared to death of Brooklyn like everybody should be. And that, yeah, this Simmons performance offensively when it's somebody who's really good. I mean, it's still the Wizards, you know? I mean, they're still, they're okay. But um, I, I I don't know, man. I mean, those those Simmons nights where you just go, why are we still doing this? And you're like, oh, why am I still asking the question? Well, I want to see it, especially now that we have crowds back. It'd be interesting. At some point in a road game, teams are going to be playing seven feet off him and he's going to have to decide what to do. Um, part two coming up after this jazz Memphis game, we're going to tape it 
So it should be up probably, I don't know, two hours after that game. But that was it for part one. Rosillo, I'll see you in an hour. All right, that's it for part one of the uh, two-parter tonight. We will be back with part two. It will be a few hours after this one posted. But uh, at some point late Sunday night, we'll cover the West. A whole bunch of burning questions left. We'll see what happens in that Jazz Grizzlies game. Don't forget, part two, Bill Simmons podcast coming later tonight.